You are now listening to For All Nerds Show, a podcast about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. For All Nerds is hosted by DJ Ben-Amin and Tatiana Keene-Jones. For All Nerds Show is a member of the Loudspeakers Network, where we always say rest in peace to our founder, Combat Jack. For All Nerds Show is powered by our listeners. Everything we do from our podcasts, live events, our website are all independently funded. Please continue to support us through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash for all nerds. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Doodle. Welcome, Internet, to another episode of For All Nerds, the podcast about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. It is your girl, Tatiana King-Jones. I am the captain now. DJ Benjamin is off to another distant galaxy, but that's okay because we have a very special co-captain in the chair. From another galaxy. Hey, but before we get to him, you know, I got to do my AKA. It's going to do my intro. So like I said, I'm Tatiana King-Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, AKA Father Stretch My Bands, Baptin Ameriba, J Prince of All Saiyans, Sean Jean-Luc Picard, Chance the Parappa, Flex Luthor, and Lambo Calrissian. And that beautiful voice you heard is none other than... Chico Leo, the Wookiee from Brooklyn, a.k.a. Marlon Brandalorian. Yes, Chico. Good job. That's all I got this week. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm waiting for the next one. You're not going to do your classics no, at least? man. You know, you got this Daenerys Targaryen. You got all the titles, you know. <laughs> I'm sitting here like someone from, you know, what was that poor section of King's Landing? Oh, like, God. you know, like, I don't even <laughs> have a last poor... name, let alone a title. That, oh, you mean the, like, the underground, yeah, yeah, understairs? Like, yeah, yeah, where, yeah, exactly where, uh, where, the where commoners. My man, where my man Gendry was from. Oh, shit. Yeah. I forgot what it was called, but. I... Me too. Oh, Flea Bottom. Yeah. Flea oh, Bottom. God. Coming out of. Coming straight out of Flea Bottom. Flea Bottom's up. Yep, exactly. There you go. Uh, but welcome, everybody, to For All Nerd Show. Hope everyone's having a good week. Uh, I know we are. Sure. Um, uh, I, I, it's like I don't want to. It's like so many holidays coming up. I mean, you have depending on when you hear this, maybe Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas. Who knows? It may be in between that. But the fact is, is the holidays, which means yeah, bad weather. But you also got time to spend time with your family, and also sometimes you don't want to spend time with your family. And that's cool. If that's the case, there's other ways to pass the time. I know for us, we've been watching lots of The Mandalorian. That's right. Uh, and I was gonna say you could listen. You could listen to your favorite podcast. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, what what favorite podcast? Chico? what favorite podcast is that? We're all nerds. All right, all right. Um, yeah. So the Mandalorian is dope. <laughs> That's it. He was like, "Yo, it's dope." So I mean, have you? Are you caught up? Are you? Oh, have dude, you watched I've all watched, episodes? I watched all three episodes twice. Okay. I woke up at six thirty in the morning that Friday that it first aired, and uh-huh. I watched it on my phone, and then went back to bed. Uh huh. And then when I woke up at like you know whatever ten eleven. I went upstairs and I watched it like regular on my TV, uh-huh. um, and then the the second one I watched you know regular on TV, and then I watched it again later. Um, I think it's extraordinary. I think it's like the best Star Wars thing they've done in a while. Yeah. Um, I also felt that way about Rogue One. I l- Rogue One is my Rogue yeah. One made me an actual Star Wars super fan, maybe. So like this and Rogue One, I think are the only things that have like hit it out of the park. I gotta mm. be honest with you, I'm not really 
that, you know, I mean, of course I'm going to go see The Rise of Sky- Skywalker or The yeah. Fall or whatever it is, The Rise of Skywalker. But, like, yeah. I'm not, you know, but whereas, like I said with The Mandalorian, like, I woke up, it was 6.30 in the morning, and then I just literally went check my phone. I had the Disney app <laughs> on my phone. I never, watch, I never watch anything on my phone. Like, I, I've, I've come on, on the mic here yeah. on, on Four. How'd you get Disney Plus? You pay for it outright? You got Verizon? No, I paid for it outright. Okay. But I got to be honest with you, $69 for a year is, is, is such a better bang for your buck than, than uh, Netflix. Mm. Um, and there's actually a lot of cool stuff on there. Look, I haven't seen Aladdin. The, you know, the original, not the live action. But I haven't yeah. seen Aladdin in like 20-something years. You so know? you got to see like the I classics. haven't seen it yet, but there's a lot of stuff on there. Like, yeah. I haven't seen, you know, like I'm psyched to watch The Rock- Rocketeer again. And then there's even stuff like, yo, I'm going to watch The Rescuers. Yeah. And The Rescuers Down Under. Yo, I saw those when I was little, you know? Uh, like, do you want to relive your childhood? Yeah, I saw bit. The Rescuers Down Under in the theaters as a kid. Like, Goddamn. You know, <laughs> I saw The Fox and the Hound in the Vintage. Theaters. So, yeah, I mean, I actually think the Disney Channel is pretty dope. They also have, they're going to have every Marvel thing. Oh, oh Disney have, Plus. They yeah, have a lot. Yeah. But they have every Star Wars thing. I'm already doing a Clone Wars rewatch. Yeah. And that's that's the other thing I was going to say. I actually think the best things since the original Star Wars, or, or since the original Star Wars trilogy, are the Clone Wars cartoon, mm-hmm. Rebels cartoon, um, which I watched two seasons of. I think there were four. Um, and I'm gonna watch it on 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 Disney Plus, but like, and The Mandalorian and Rogue mm-hmm. One. Clone Wars been fire, and I agree with you that The Mandalorian is dope beyond belief. Um, I I had put a like a brief um I don't know if you want to call it a critique review whatever, but a brief like one tweet thing on Twitter where I expressed that I felt the only misgivings or shortcoming whatever was for me for episode one i thought the score was a bit overdone like it was too very much like certain scenes like this is the penultimate scene of this episode this is an important activity like it was a little bit much of that and some of the uh special effects were a little off however by episode two everything came together and of course we were blessed with quote unquote baby yoda yes now here's this thing or yodita or, oh, Yodita, is that yeah, what people are saying? I guess so. Okay, on, I like that, on, Yodita. On, on Spanish-speaking Twitter. Yodita. Um, here's, you know, one of the controversies, quote, it's not really a controversy, but one of the, uh, well, actually, Twitter things is everyone saying, well, actually, that's not Yoda. Well, no, it can't be Yoda. We, 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 know, yeah, we this. know that. We, we you know this. Yoda because we don't know the name of the Yoda species. No, I get it. Right. So, I was, and so I'm glad you said that because I was just curious, like, were you one of those, well, actually, people, or were you just like, it's fine? It's no, just I mean, there's not, I mean, that's, that's the thing to call him is baby yoda or yodita but uh <laughs> so i actually i i agree with you. i actually think that each episode got better yes and so after the first episode i was like all right this is this is dope but i wasn't like jazzed the way i was after the first episode of watchmen or the way that i was after the second i mean i was jazzed I mean, it wasn't like i was ever not going to keep watching or whatever mm-hmm. and it's interesting you say that there was some special effects stuff i have experienced a little bit of um Whatever that Disney like like you know the the whatever like the the bleeps and blurps like where yeah like, it's like it, it it's like sometimes it blurs on the capacity of right. poor TV graphics but then it gets good like but I, I can't tell I, if that's I, I, I don't know what it is I can't tell if that's because Disney doesn't totally have their you know shit together in the sense of they were having all these problems people getting shut out of the shut out of it people were having it freeze. oh you mean like streaming that's what like I'm talking technical? about technical oh I, no I was this having, wasn't a technical issue see I was having technical issues a little bit but like I. I never have that with Amazon Prime. I never yeah. have that with. Well, that's a capacity you know, with, thing. With, but 
Yeah, with Netflix. But as far as at least with me experiencing what I saw, like I said, little hiccups in the in the in the special effects, that wasn't because of uh, streaming oh, or capacity. I'm up. talking about like, oh, okay. that looks wonky. That CGI right. looks a little off. Right. Like it looks off in one on one angle, and then they switch angles, and it's fine. That's what I mean. So I mean, but it was nothing to completely throw me out of the experience. I still I still think that the story is shaping up to be a really thoughtful one. Um, I, I love the mythos that they're building. Oh, yeah. I love learning about the, the Mandos, as, yeah. you know, the shorten of, of Mandalorian. I love learning about the fact that, you know, that's their religion and that's their culture. And, and to me, I, I made the comparison of this was this is Star Wars version of Klingons. If Klingons are like the warfaring honor and yep. this and that, then in some ways there's there's some comparisons and there there's some good a couple of mandalorian episodes in um in clone wars and then one of the characters in rebels is mandalorian mm. um sabine and so they've been you know sprinkling some stuff but nothing as heavy as this mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure maybe someone out there can correct me and i'm sure you will if, if it needs correcting that whole thing where like the empire hunted them down and killed them all i don't think we knew that i think that is literally was created for this i it actually I it may have been shared on one of the other uh star wars stuff like either in clone wars or in other you know if it happened, a different it story rebels cuz cuz i did watch cuz i feel wars like it was said somewhere right um else but this is definitely, without a doubt, getting way more into the Mandalorian mythos and yeah. why do they wear the armor and just even the weird thing where the money, that metal is money, but it's also yeah. their armor. That's how, like, and what what's funny, I know for, for gamers, like, all the Mandalorians look like, if you play Destiny still, hunters and titans. They, they all do. Um, and... You know, to your point about that, like people, of course, the jokes are gonna fly. This is this is the age of social media, so people are like, you know, are they, are they having sex with these, you know, helmets on? Like, what's that like? Right, 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 right. No, it's true. When 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 she said, "Have you ever taken your?" See, I took that like, to be, "Have you ever taken your helmet off, like in combat?" As, or as a dishonorable thing. But the yeah. dope thing is, there was a scene in the second episode where he's repairing his armor and he has like his shirt off, basically, but he's still wearing his helmet. And in the Judge Dredd universe, Judge Dredd can never doesn't ever take off his helmet. Oh. So they'll show him in like the med bay getting like his chest patched up or whatever, <laughs> and he's still wearing his helmet. But the thing is, Pedro Pascal is legitimately like one of the sexiest. He's beautiful. Men on the yeah, and, and with really I, expressive eyes. And like, I as thought an actor. that I was like, wait a minute, are we never? I mean, we we will, but I'm like, are we never going to see his face right. because he's like really good looking? Yeah, so. no, I know, I'm aware, and you know, he's rugged, and 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 that dude is not. A spring chicken either like in the sense that he's like a good looking he's a zaddy mature yeah exactly he's a zaddy. um but um yeah they 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 definitely um i'm sad that it's only eight episodes i kind of wish they had dumped it all at once although then we wouldn't be talking about it in the same way well, um and, and i think that's the point uh, uh i i don't quite remember who it was but one of our uh, listeners did bring that up on Twitter. They were like, they they love it, but they were mad that they didn't just drop all the episode at once. But towards the point that you are, are alluding to, you know, one, I think we're also too, we as in the collective of people are too used to the Netflix model because right. we think, oh, everything's just supposed to come to us at, one, at once. No, actually the way it was, was everything is episodic and weekly. Right. So that's actually back to more tradition. Two, because it, 
extends the the news cycle for them. It extends the conversation that exactly. we're having. Um, also, from from a very technical standpoint, when it when it comes to understanding the metrics of how many people have watched this episode, how many people are you know storing, it's like it's a little easier to make some measurements and understanding when you have like a weak gap between this, you know, versus. You throw all episodes at once, and then you got to sit there and measure. Okay, how many people spending time? How many hours on this episode? It's, it's a little different. Well, the other the other thing is because it's a thirty five minute show, it feels shorter when you have to wait a week. Yes, I don't feel absolutely. That After Watchmen, just to use as an example, that's like a solid hour show. You feel? I'm like, I'm, well, no, but I'm like, I I, I got to think about that for a week. You yeah. know what I just saw? The point being, like, <laughs> I, I, I I need. I, I don't I don't feel the need to like automatically watch the next episode of The Watchmen like I do The Mandalorian like I'm like impressed. you're like wait give me give me scenes from next week or whatever yeah. you know on the Mandalorian yeah that's true with, but, the, with the length but you know it's interesting the um yeah you're right it was so it was the Netflix model and it started with House of Cards that was the first time mm-hmm. they ever dumped everything and there was a huge snowstorm on the East Coast. That night. And it was perfect. So everyone, like not everyone, but a lot of people stayed home and binged it. And so it suddenly became this huge event. Yep. And it's only because of a snowstorm. It's so funny how we live in this post, you know, technological world or whatever, but still something like a snowstorm. Global warming have... global warming world too. Right. No, <laughs> but but something like weather can still really badly affect, you know, uh they're still fixing the trains from Sandy. Yep. And Sandy was big partially because it happened to be a full moon that night and the tides were higher than they would have been. You know, it's like it's weird. Of how... course wholesaler moon would know this. That's about the, right. the lunar moon. the lunar <laughs> tides. <That's right. laughs> um, That's what I forgot. Yeah. I- I'm really glad that you you brought up Watchmen because of course of course, of course. We, I know everyone's like, y'all been hyping this. Y'all meaning myself and Ben. I mean, y'all been hyping this episode, this episode six. This better be good. And yada da da da. Episode six dropped the Watchmen. Yep. And baby, that I we told y'all y'all was not ready. And as Chico has already mentioned, even up even before episode six, every preceding episode has been whoa i have to sit down and think about this i've I've seen people say i actually have to watch the episodes twice right because there's a not just a lot to digest but sometimes you miss things or you or there's there's concepts that you are you don't quite you aren't quite able to synthesize right then and there so you know you you've already earned this thing like damn watchmen is something else this is a this is this is kind of a phenomenon It's, it's, it's starting to come out to be and then this episode drops which is completely blue my and and DJ Ben, I mean, minds. We've been holding. We've been sitting on this for five weeks. Oh, so he's changes. He's changes because in the beginning, like I came on right after the first episode. Okay. And Ben didn't seem totally convinced yet. Like, well, I, he he made we. I don't know when that was, but we may have not even seen all the episodes. But in October, at some point in October, we did see all the episodes. And we again, like I said, we've been sitting on this for the longest time and just screaming about it and. Because of that, we have a very special guest on this episode. I think you guys will enjoy it. I think I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by by the guest if you have not already just read the title of the episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that being said, we're gonna take a quick break. Be back with some snacks. This is gonna be a good one. Hey guys, it's Allison Williams. I'm an actor, and when I am not scaring people on screen, I am hanging out with For All Nerds and listening to their show. 
Hey guys, this is Rod and Karen of the Blackout Tips Podcast. And when we aren't doing one of our mini podcasts, yes, we are listening to For All Nerds. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Asante, one third of the Friend Zone. And when I am not smoking pot or playing Shinobi Striker, I am listening to For All Nerds. Tune in. What's up, everybody? This is Chuck Creekmer, aka Jigsaw from AllHipHop.com. And when I'm not placing my heavy hand on the world of hip-hop culture, I'm watching for all nerds. Hey, this is Logan Browning, and when I'm not trying to take over Netflix, I'm listening to for all nerds. Yo, what up? This is Yahya Abdul-Mateen the second I play Black Manta in the Aquaman movies. And when I'm not getting around the city, I'm chilling, listening to for all nerds. What's up, y'all? This is Ann Steven Harris. Fire artist, co-creator of Aztec, fire artist on Ajala, The Fringe, Michael Cray, Watson the Holmes, don't forget Watson the Holmes, award winner of Watson the Holmes, Glyph Award, eyes are nominated. When I'm not drawing, I am listening to For All Nerds. Check it. Hey, I'm Malcolm Lee, director of Night School, and when I'm not directing, writing, and producing, and editing and spending time with my kids, I'm listening to For All Nerds. Hey, this is Pamela Ribbon, and when I'm not writing things like My Boyfriend is a Bear or Ralph Breaks the Internet, I am listening to For All Nerds. Yo, what's up? This is Chico Leo, and when I'm not leading an Athenian revolt in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I'm listening to For All Nerds. Thank you for joining us on the show today, sir. And first off, I was looking at, you know, whenever we have a guest, I look at their Wikipedia, IMDb, all that good stuff. And first, I saw that you worked on one of my favorite shows of all time, Lost. And I see that you're, you know, executive producing on Watchmen. So I was like, how did he get here? And then I just see all these credits, you know, just on and on and on and on. And but I like, but at the same time, I feel like I haven't really heard your name before this. And so, do you feel like you're kind of the invisible man of Hollywood at times? Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> interesting question. Yes. You know what? Yes, I do. And I will admit that that's partly by design. <laughs> you know, I feel like. Uh, I want the work to speak for itself, and I am, you know, less interested in putting myself out there. Um, you know, uh, the the work is the work is the important thing. That makes any sense? Mm. Yeah. No, it definitely does. It does. I, I was speaking with a friend of mine today about you know people. He feels like it's not even this generation or anything. He just like feels like the time we are living in. People want to 
do more talking about the work they do than doing the actual work. Right, right. I think that's true. <laughs> I think mm. that's true. All right, so um, another one, like, what was it like working with Damon on Lost? Like, like I said, that's one of my favorite shows ever, man. I, I mean, I could go on and on. We could sit here and talk all day about it. But it was like... <laughs> When when we, when we were talking to Damon, at the same time, he confessed to us that the level of diversity on his staff, like, you know, it wasn't the best. Right. So, yeah, I heard that interview, actually. <laughs> I listened to your interview, yeah. So what was yeah, the I mean, that's you know, true. You know, I will say this. That That is true. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it has been my experience. I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, Part of the answer to the very first question you asked me about Invisible Man um, has to do with the answer that I gave you, but it also has to do uh, with the fact that until very, very recently, it has been true to say that I, whenever I have found myself in a creative room or a creative ecosystem behind making a show, 9.9 times... Um, out of 10, I have been the only, certainly only African-American slash African-Jamaican, <laughs> um, or in many other cases, the only person of color. So, you know, like I said, that's changed recently, but certainly going back to Lost, that was definitely the case. I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking, with the with the exception of, you know, a lot of actual local Hawaiians and uh, people from other other islands, Pacific Islands, you know, um, Guam, um, mm-hmm. uh, and places like that. There were there was not a lot of diversity on the show at all, mm. which is weird because the cast was kind of. I mean, I don't know if you actually use the word diverse, but there, you know, we did have Harold Perrineau, an African American. We did have Daniel Day Kim, a Korean. Um, and we did have Naveen Andrews, uh, so um, you know there was some flavor, but it was not. But the stories were not, for the most part, the episodes for the most part were not, you know, informed by that cultural diversity. Mm. Right, and it feels that Watchmen is, to say the least, completely opposite of that. Um, um, right. I mean, there's there's many different layers and complexities to it, but you know, I'm curious. Were you a fan of Watchmen before you joined onto the series? Were you even aware of the Alan Moore, you know, stories or anything beyond that? I was aware of the graphic novel, and I had seen mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's, you know, movie, um, but I was not a Watchmen scholar. And even now, wow. I would be hard-pressed to call myself a Watchmen scholar, although obviously once I agreed to work with Damon on the show, I immersed myself in all things Watchmen, and beginning with, you know, the canon, beginning with the source, beginning with the graphic novel, which, right. uh, you know, bears repeated visitations because it's so dense and it's so layered and it's so complex and so intricate. But... um but yeah, I was not I was not hugely familiar with with it as a property, as a piece of you know intellectual property. Gotcha, and that's and that's fine. Wow. But what's kind of shocking, <laughs> yeah, what's kind of shocking is that you said even now you would not consider yourself a scholar because based on what we've seen, Venom, I have seen the first six episodes. 
you have you guys have been able to tightly integrate even the most minutia points of the graphic novel. Right. And it's pretty unreal how you guys have been able to do it. And, right. you know, well, one, just commending you for that, but also, two, how could you not call yourself a scholar at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not for the last time. Again, I, will, I have a feeling that pretty much the tag at the end of every question you ask me is going to refer to the very first question that DJ Benamine asked, at where I'm going to say, you know, uh, flying under the radar. So um, mm. humility, <laughs> hum- hum- humility <laughs> to a fault, probably. <laughs> No, you've got wow. to do a phenomenal job. Yeah, that's just so crazy to me. It's like I I can't imagine that you like you said. I mean, I guess you know the humility of it all, but at the same time, man, this show, I I was one of those people who before it came out, I was like for real, you know. Right. And then I'm not even gonna lie. Even before I talked to Damon, some of his statements before the show came out, I was like, ooh, you know, he's like, I want people <laughs> to make their own judgments and stuff. And I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie to you. And then that first episode hit, and I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was like, wow. And as it goes on, as I've been dissecting it, the you know, it's just so many levels to, right. you know, to how, I mean, not just the book. I mean, obviously, I'm, I've been a fan of the book for years now, but just how you have integrated it, it just really kills me. And, like, one question is, like, I know Damon talked about the room being two years long, but how did y'all, you know, what was that experience like just before, you know, in the creative, in the development process of this? I mean, it was intense. There's no, no two ways about it. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you got this impression, you know, when you spoke to Damon that your, your fears and concerns and anxiety about whether or not we were going to fuck this up were widely shared amongst (laughs) (laughs) There is not a day that we didn't look at each other and go, why are we doing this? Not, not just to the property, but to ourselves and to, you know, and yet we were compelled to do it. We were literally compelled. It was like, dude, it was the, it was the most, profound, deep experience. Uh, I think for everyone who, who worked on the show in front of, behind the camera, I mean, we just understood that there was so much here and uh, mm-hmm. there was a way to repurpose the original graphic novel and talk about urgent issues in our moment in the same way that the graphic novel did when it came out in 1985. So although although they were talking about as as you were, you know, well aware, they were talking about, you know, the imminent danger of nuclear con- conflagration, whereas we are talking about, uh, among other things, but centrally, you know, the role that race has played in the unfolding American story and continues to play. And by extension, the role of white supremacy and the danger that white supremacy is to our our entire culture and nation nationhood you know right, so right. i mean it was just an experience of deep deep immersion and commitment and terror and <laughs> um <laughs> you know all of those things put together but we were driven to try to open a window and a conversation on 
something that is so central to all our lives that doesn't really get the airing out that it that it needs to or deserves to understood yeah i mean and and granted there was there was the fear as you mentioned you were like you don't want to fuck this up but how does it feel yeah. to be getting the reaction that you that the show has been getting i mean i know the first few episodes were over a million uh viewers and you know Damn. largely positive reviews um you know lar- reviews from both the general public and from critics so how does that feel? Do you feel relieved of any sense, or do you still feel like, oh man, wait until they see the next few episodes? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, to both. Yeah, definitely. Once you know, once the show dropped and people started seeing it uh, and responding to it in a way that you know you you have accurately portrayed, um, there was definitely a sense of relief. But literally. Every week is like you go through the same life cycle again. Okay, we got through the first one. We got through the second one. We got through the third one. Uh, but now the, the next one's up. And, you know, uh, specifically for me, as it pertains to, you know, the episode that will be airing on Sunday, this Sunday, the 24th, November, um, which I directed, there's, you know, I I would be lying if I were to say that, Anxiety has not resurrected itself again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. We, we're going to get deep. We're going to dive into that in a second. Because, like, you know, I've actually watched, I think Tatiana's seen it three times. I've watched it again yeah. today, so I've seen it twice. So we're going to get into that. But, like, let's just get, like, like some of the larger themes that we that you were just talking about, right? Like, with the idea of using Warshards as, the kickoff point for, you know, the seventh Calvary and everything like all that stuff is deep in the book, but at the same time for certain people, it'd be a huge leap. So what made right. y'all and you know, what made y'all decide to go that route? Yeah. I mean, there are times when I feel like I am probably not the best spokesperson for those kinds of decisions, although I endorse them mm-hmm. and support them. But, you mm. know, again, because I don't really think of myself, you know, as I said to this day, to be a real scholar of the source material. I wanted to be informed by the source material, but I also wanted to be able to breathe my own personal life into the material and find a place where mm. they intersect and could commingle. So in a way I tried to be, I tried to understand the source material, but not be yoked to it, right? Not be um, exclusively in service to it, to have it be, to have it be the, 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 the mode of transportation through this narrative, but not um, overwhelm, the other, whatever fresh perspective I could bring to it. So in terms of the Rorschach mask, I, you know, my, my appreciation of Rorschach from the graphic novel is that he was a bit of, uh, you know, a maverick in a way, you know, he was an outlier. And so (laughs) when these guys were, (laughs) you are, you know, when you're a white supremacist terrorist organization, I can think of no better definition of an outlier than that. And so, in a Ooh. way, the appropriation of that mask um, felt appropriate to me. 
also, just oh. on a literal level, you know, a Rorschach is like, as you know, tells you about the, it, it speaks to the notion of who, who is doing the watching, which is a very obviously watchman idea. And the notion yeah. that the mask is both concealing something and revealing something at the same moment. And so that's what a Rorschach test is, right? It's this obscure mm -hmm. shape that triggers different responses in the people that look at it. And so I feel like on the one hand, you know, they're this terrorist outfit and they're wearing this mask to conceal their identities, but they're also holding up a mirror to the society in which they are, you know, running amok. So this is starting to make a lot more sense now. I mean, now that you're putting these pieces together, because what you just said, like, again, just triggered my understanding of uh, like when you explain the appropriation of the Rorschach mask and the fact that the, you know, the, the similarity to the KKK, like they had appropriated so many different symbols that meant totally different things in different cultures right. for their own. Right. And then, exactly. and then, as you just as you just mentioned with the idea that, you know, the Rorschach test and, and, and looking within yourself, there's obvious parallels to looking glass, the character and, right. you know, his methods of finding out that, I mean, now like the, I mean, I knew that there were levels, but my God, sir, yeah. <laughs> this, is <a> lot. <laughs> this is a lot, uh, you know, and we're going to, and by the time everyone hears this, the sixth episode would have aired. So we're going to talk a little bit about that specific episode. But you, you, there's two main major things I wanted to discuss with you. The first being that, um, and this was this, this was this happened in another episode already. But you guys made it a point to include the the understanding of generational trauma. So yeah. basically, like. Uh, I think that was very powerful because it wasn't until maybe earlier this year or maybe late 2018 that I ever heard of that in the first place where right. um, I believe, I believe actually, you know, real life scientists actually confirmed that, you know, the, the trauma and, and that the historical experiences can actually live on through DNA and pass down right. through generations, which, right. you know, explains or tries to explain or tries to inform how, you know, uh, for example, black Americans, deal with their trauma today and, and, and the, you know, America's slavery and, and things like that nature. So right. what was, what did you guys, I mean, who decided that, you know what, we have to put this in and in many ways you're legitimizing that, that understanding. I mean, I would say that that was part and parcel of the minute that, you know, Damon finally like got to a place where he was prepared to, you know, swallow this demon whole, whole and like render it in, you know, a contemporary form. I feel like that was part and parcel of what he saw as the opportunity to, um, the opportunity provided by the, by the original material and that it was relevant. And, um, I know he's talked about this in lots of interviews and, and I can't remember whether he brought it up with you guys, but, you know, him reading, you know, Case for Reparations, the article that Tanahese Coates initially published in Atlantic um, magazine talks about, uh, talks about this notion. And it was in many ways an inciting uh, 
article for for Damon that kind of brought a lot of things that I think were swimming around in his consciousness that brought them to a focal point and you know finally found their mm-hmm. expression in 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 our iteration of Watchmen. Mm. So it was there and, from and the beginning. Like, yeah, and that's like something that about um you know Alan Moore is famous for not you know feeling adaptions of his work. But I feel like this takes his spirit. Damon said it himself, you know, he's like F. Alan Moore kind of in a way, you know, because that's that spirit of taking what was done before and just expanding upon it in a really logical way. And so, like, as you said that that was always in it, but and bringing your own humanity into it, which is also, I, I mean, I just want to thank you, really, because I really appreciate everything y'all have done on it. And the fact that you bring your own, you know, like you said, African Jamaican influence to it is just so amazing. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Alan Moore was a remix dude, you know, from, I mean, he mm-hmm. remixed, you know, um, Charlton comics and characters and yep. the notion of costumed heroes. He remixed those for his own purpose. So, um, you know, we're in many ways, you know, carrying on the next leg of a, of a narrative relay that he himself was a part of. And so, um, you know, that's the, that's the, in a way we locate ourselves in that, in that tradition. <laughs> mm. All right. Now, like you said, everyone, by this point, like we said, by the top <laughs> of stairs, everyone was seen episode six. Yeah. So, and we and we're we saying gotta, this again, so you can't. Guys who are listening cannot say we ruined anything for you. We're warning you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because me and Tatiana both were, you know, from the moment I know you heard the interview, we were like, "Yo, episode six, what the, f-? you know?" And that's all we've seen. <laughs> so we've been stuck. You know, we've just been waiting. We've been waiting for everyone else to catch up because yeah. we can't say anything. So right. yeah, it's been, right. it's, it's, it's it's been tough, but. You know, I was rewatching it today, and there's just so many little moments, right? Like um, the red blood on the street, you know, reminded me of Schindler's List. And, right. you know, Schindler's List was referenced in an earlier episode. Exactly. You know, it's not existing in this universe, and there's the replacement film for it because of exactly. the squid attack. Yeah, and then, like, the second time I watched it, were really – I mean, there's a few heartbreaking moments in this episode. It's like it's so much heartbreak and loss and – generational trauma once again to the one that crushed me was the boy putting on his father's makeup, you know, and him saying, I am oh, right. Like yeah. that ruined me. So I, right. I, know you, you know, had, I, I know you've had anxiety you have about it. No, I do don't, you, you know, but I have no, neither of us do. All right. Well, it's going to ruin you even more when you have kids. <laughs> oh my god i can only imagine <laughs> i'm pretty sure it will yeah I, I can't imagine so you you yourself are a father yeah i have i have sons and uh oh i have a daughter too i have twin boys and i have a daughter so but i was thinking oh. about my sons when i was you know putting that scene on its feet and um yeah i'm totally dude i'm like you man i'm i'm one of those who I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for any movie that you know uh, has a father son dynamic in it. You know that dynamic mm. is one of you know there's like a handful of elemental dynamics, right? That just are you know like 
earth, fire, water, and air. And that's one of them, like fathers and mm-hmm. fathers and sons and, you know, fathers and daughters too in a different um, construct. But as it yep. relates to this episode specifically, fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. And it's how we were talking about generational trauma and it goes back to like biblical, like the sins of the father will be passed on, you know, no to doubt. the next generation. And, but like, I know you had anxiety, man, but once again, I just like want to congratulate you. And I'm like, I know you had to know, like, once you've seen it, that you put your foot in that joint, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that was like, you know, that was a high wire. It felt like that to us, right? There was no, there was no safety net. I mean, it was all long takes, very little coverage. No, you know, the transitions were what they were. The, I mean, I'm talking about the form of it, the style of it, the, the the visual grammar of it was very, very specific and completely unforgiving and yet felt like the only way to tell that story so that you could have the most concentrated experience of what it felt like to be walking in Will Reeves' shoes in the same way that Angela is now having that experience, that you know, to put you as close as possible and as in immersively as possible in that point of view was, you know, uh, was what informed all the visual choices. And, uh, but, you know, like Birdman, there's no kind of, you know, it's just one long fluid thing and there's no, there's no um, escape hatch from a mm. filming point of view, right? So mm-hmm. it was... Yeah, that that episode felt like a fever dream, man. We for the whole crew and and cast, we would turn to each other at the end of every day and just go, "Wow, we were like in a different place while we were shooting and making that episode." That episode was felt unique to us, like unique as in uh you know, refer you to the humility thing, not unique as in, as in amazing, unique as in Come a on. <laughs> the, the transitions between my man, and, yeah, the transitions between my man and Regina King, like the the leap out the window and the you know three sixty degree shot of Hooded Justice, like the you know, I mean that's just the those are like the splashy things, but then it's all the little emotional beats. That right, you know, you handled it like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Cast, well, but by they... the way, the cast was amazing. Joban Adepo and Danielle, they were, mm. they were crazy. They were crazy mm. good. They just came prepared, and they were those people. It was amazing. It was a gift mm. to work with them. And you know, relatedly, I, you know, the internet loves conspiracy theories. And, you know, I'm sure this is on purpose, but I also have to ask, like, all of the, the different themes that got thrown into this episode, particularly the one about hypnosis or mesmerism, as they call it. Right. Like, did you yeah. just want to give the Internet ammo to just go nuts at this point? Because there's <laughs> going to be a million theories about this, you know, real. And, and, Nobody's and going to the movie. Real life. Right. As it applies to real life, as it applies to fiction, like, you know, is this dangerous at this point to throw this idea yeah. in there? Or do you just, I mean, and, and, and to your point, this is on purpose. So can you, can you, like, what was the decision? Like, you know what? We have to do this. Creatively, this is the way we have to go. 
Man, you know, it's so funny. Like somebody asked me in another interview that about that, and I, I was like, I pass. <laughs> I was like, for exactly the reason that you gave. I was like, I am not going to serve it up to, you know, people who are more interested in online mischief <laughs> than mm-hmm. actual clarity and truth. So, um, I mean, yeah. Uh, what's the question again? <laughs> well, let me, let me simplify it. Let me simplify yeah, it a little please. bit more. Do, do you, you know, you, you did agree that perhaps that could be a dangerous thing. That you know, I believe this, everything. This is, look, I believe everything in our show, yeah. and specifically this episode, could be dangerous. Um, mm. I really do. Mm. No, and like I mean, like that's something. I mean, there's a torching of like, a there's a Molotov cocktail thrown into a Jewish delicatessen. There is lynching. There is yeah, the use of the N word. There is. I mean, there is a million. There are a million. Potholes, some million, million, million booby traps in this episode, and and in the and in yeah. the series as a whole. So yeah, I don't know that I felt there was any specific. I don't know that I felt that was the most potentially incendiary part of the episode. For example, the the mesmerism part. Right, right. And maybe you guys weren't. I mean, obviously you're paying attention, but I'm like, maybe that's not the concern of whether or not it's incendiary. Uh, technically, the entire series is incendiary. You know, yeah. did you, you had, maybe you had a greater concern that, that you know, different messaging was being uh, brought across. For sure. I mean, again, you know, the, the, the peril of misunderstanding and deliberate misappropriation of intention in order to further an agenda, whatever that is, is very, very ripe in our series. And we were aware of that. But at the same time, there are moments in your creative life when, and, 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 and certain ideas and concepts and themes and values that are so important that you make the determination rightly or wrongly that you have to take that risk um, if you are going to live an honest and authentic life. And so mm. we, that, that's where we, that's where we, you know, that's where we came down in the end. Mm, I get you. Uh, okay. I have to ask this. I know this had, or I hope this came up. There's a scene where, like very much in the beginning, where right before um, the Williams character ch- decides to be put at justice, and he's walking back after getting beat up, he has the noose around his neck. And as yeah. this scene played, both myself and Ben Amin started screaming. And we're in different locations, watching at different times, and we text each other like, "Oh my God, dying! You know, this dying, laughing, whatever you want to call it." And I, I again, I have to ask this. Was Hood, was Justice Smollett ever referenced during the creation of this episode? Because you know that what's is so weird. Literally, you know what's what so he weird said is like, man, I gotta tell you something. This is this is the straight gospel. All right. Oh my God! I already know, but go. 
Yeah, wow. a, number, a number of things. Let me tell you something. This, this is straight truth. That This episode was conceived and written long before Jussie Smollett. The Jussie Smollett Fucking thing went hell. Down. And we literally, when it happened, we were like, oh, my God, nobody is going to believe that. Nobody's going to believe that. They're going to think we're ripping on that. They're not going to believe that. And yet it is true. And I'll tell you further, you know that OK sign, the sign of the Cyclops, right? You know, like the OK sign. Yeah, that that's see? been appropriated now. Exactly. Like, that. we had no idea. I will not forget that wow. that was just a, a thing that, that, that because of Cyclops, but <laughs> that we came up with. And I will not forget the day that our production designer walked into my office and went, have you seen this picture of these Alabama cops? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, yeah. And then we did a lot of research, and it was, we discovered that there are, this is how insidious the thing is, right? There is a, an interpretation that that symbol was chosen specifically because it means okay. And so when people mm. like you and I say, oh, that's a white supremacist symbol, the white supremacist gets to paint us as crazy by going, you see, mm. this is how tripped out those, you know, liberal, woke people are that now you can't even say, hey, man, OK, OK. You can't even flash an, 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 something as innocuous as an OK sign without being called a racist or a white supremacist. And they specifically chose it so that. When we went, hey, they're doing it again, that they would have that opportunity to discredit the point of view that we were bringing. So, yeah, also that happened um, by, you know, in a weird kind of coincidence. So, yeah. So, this is all coincidence. I. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that is the truth. The universe works in strange ways, though. That's the thing. You put a thought into the universe and someone else picks up on it. So maybe. Okay, you know, I'm going to tell you, as a lost man, by the way, you know, I, I tell you who, who, you should, who, who you should look to for the real reason uh, is Mr. Lindelof. Because you're a lost man. You're, you're a yes. lost man, right? So yes. a lot of stuff happened at, while we were doing Lost that was analogous to what we're talking about right now. So, for instance, you know about that plane that went missing, you know, a couple of years ago, and it still hasn't been found, right? The plane that just, like, oh dropped off the radar somewhere in either the Indian Ocean or Pacific, somewhere in that part of the world. And everybody in the newspapers was like, dude, this is totally, like, lost. This is totally, like, lost. And so, you know, six degrees of Lindelof. I mean, but that that's like the whole creation theory. I don't know if you um, are into any other comic book artists and everything, but um, Grant Morrison constantly talks about everything that happened to him throughout his life as he's been creating comics, like things that he's written will happen to him or happen to people he knows and things of that nature. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not blaming you for, you know, Mr. Smollett. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have to bring this up because this is we cannot be the only ones who thought that. And it's going to multiply by a million once the episode airs. Right. Yeah, right. No. Yeah. So be prepared. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> I'm trying to be prepared, trust me. <laughs> 
Wow, that that's amazing, man. But um, right. Okay, going on from this episode and everything, from your whole career. Well, no, I think I have one more thing to ask. I mean, this goes from a friend of the show, a friend of the show, um, Tim Hotep. He asked, like, there's so many subplots on this show, right? And as a creative, which of them did you enjoy working on the most, or which of them do you find the most compelling as a viewer? You know, now that it's out there. Subplots, not main plot. Subplot. That's what you're asking. Or even Correct. the main plots, like which character is the most compelling to you or their art, their story, everything on this show? Man, I just, you know, I'm a, wow, that's a tough one to answer because there's so many to choose from. I mean, you know, I did, I also directed, one, you know, 103 that introduced, you know, Gene Smart's character, you know, Silk Spectre. Mm. And, uh, and I thought Gene did an amazing job. Um, but I would have to say that, you know, and and working with Mr. Gossett is like, you know, wow. I mean, as wow. someone who, who like, you know, has probably seen Officer and a Gentleman more than you know any other living human. Um, you know, <laughs> to work with Mr. Gossett and to spend time with him uh, and talk to him off camera about his life, which is insane. Um, you know, and just to tap into his, you know, his strength and his humanity is an amazing gift um but you know the 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 central narrative thread that holds the piece together is uh is the angela abar character and 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 regina and i mean regina is a national treasure as an actor as a human (laughs) being like indeed I, i can't say enough about regina cannot say enough about regina so um every moment that she's on screen i i feel you know, like, you know, not to not to keep dwelling on this episode because you've asked a more general question, but earlier you, you referenced the swap outs between, you know, Jovan, who's playing her grandfather, um, and and Regina. That is mm-hmm. like impossibly difficult to do as an actor because you're shooting the scene and in some cases those swap outs were done in real time. Like as the camera's moving around, Jovan has to quietly get out of his chair and disappear and Regina has to come in, but be at the same emotional place that Jovan was, who actually had the benefit of playing the scene and therefore getting himself up to speed, right? She had to just drop in and be there and then, you know, exit, all without the camera cutting or stopping, you know, just while, and while the crew is busy, you know, uh, doing what they do. So just the level of technical difficulty and Shit. and brilliance that she brings, uh, it was astonishing to watch, you know, and the post lynching that was, she just, dude, she just dropped into that and was like, we were, we were all level, the whole crew, we had to put our tools down and just like, you know, hold each other uh, because it was so tough. You know, mm. so. And you know, I mean, that goes right so, to answer everything just about how this, just you, just the production of it, the writing of this this project, just how it affects you mentally and emotionally, even physically. Oh. Like uh, that definitely reads to a lot of that. Uh, so I mean, you know, and it's weird. You're in Georgia, right? So as I've told you, I'm from Jamaica. I I mean, I I left Jamaica when I was 13, but. 
you know, it's the first time I'd been to the South, not counting Miami. <laughs> you know, oh first wow, time I'd been to the South when in Georgia, and we shot that in 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 Atlanta and in Macon, and mm. there wasn't a day that I drove to work that I didn't see ghosts. You know, like you just go, wow, wow. That's a, just yesterday that there were people fleeing from dogs with manacles around their ankles and being hunted and chasing and working on plantations and picking cotton. And like, you just look at the, you know, you see and you see plantation homes and you see you you're just driving on the highway and you just go, wow, I, I was just living in that place. And so to do a scene like that. In that place, you're just like, wow, this was just yesterday. And this could have been my family members, could have been any of us, could have been anybody that I knew. And, you know, we really tried. We had a lot of reverence for that truth. And we tried to honor it and not ever be exploitative and just really, you know, be in that in that emotional place. And it wasn't hard because of where we were, you know. And that's something else. Like, I mean, we, you know, we said we were gonna move on, but I really have to say a couple more things about that episode because there's like Regina kills it, but you had just a wealth of actors just doing the work on it. Because, I, like I said, when I'm rewatching today, and when my when she says to him, uh, "Don't you let, don't you make me cry again, Will Weaves," like mm. that, mm. you know, that moment, like yeah, mm, you know what I mean, like. And then you have Lou Gossett just doing it. And there's so many reveals and everything. But that's something. What was the, like you said before, that the mesmerism wasn't the thing that gave you the most anxiety. So what was it about this episode? Because there are reveal and betrayal after betrayal and twists and turns. So what was right. it that you were or most excited about for the audience to see? I mean, it's one of those pieces you could say this is true about every kind of, you know, film artifact or TV artifact, but it's more true in some cases than in others. So the mm-hmm. thing about this is if you, if you pulled one thread, it's not like the whole building or the whole thing would stand. The whole thing would come down. Mm. If, it all, mm-hmm. if every piece of it did not work, then none of it would work. Sometimes you can do something where you go, oh, that scene's weak, but whatever. You recover in the next scenes and, you know, and on mm-hmm. balance at the end, you go, yeah, you know, it was all right. I mean, it was good. It was, yeah, the time was here, but yeah, it was here. It was not like that. Anything doesn't work and you go, oh, man, come on. She doesn't look like him or it doesn't feel period or that doesn't look like the 30s or the way he walks or Nobody had a hairstyle like that. Their teeth weren't that white back in the day. You know, on and on. Anything, any performance, any anything that you pulled out that didn't work was going to ruin everything. So it was all chips in on, you know, number three, you know. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, like I say, we you know we talked about the show so much, Damn, but this guy, everything. This, this feels like therapy. <laughs> I feel like I'm <laughs> like free therapy. <laughs> that's why we. That's why we love to have like we 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 make it a a point to really speak to you about like how you really feel about things on this show because I'm we want to make sure you're comfortable. And I'm glad you feel like 
you're getting some things off your chest. <laughs> well, also just talking to you two. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, yes, you absolutely. <laughs> we know. As in the we. <laughs> you know? yes. Yeah, it's good. You see, again, you don't, you don't get this experience a lot. Like, uh, you don't get this experience a lot. I'm saying about the Invisible Man thing, go all the way back to the beginning. Ben, I mean, your question, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's changing now. It's starting to change now. There's a lot more... Um, there's a lot more kind of representation, a lot more of our voices, nowhere near where it needs to be, but it, but you don't feel anywhere near as, you know, uh, isolated as you did in the beginning. So, mm. Well, that, that leads right into my next question, because as I, I'm a, we're both Howard, you know, me, both, me and Tatiana are both Howard University graduates, and cool. I'm a graduate of, yeah, of their film program. I grew up, you know, wanting to make films and everything. I worked in, you know, Hollywood doing a little bit here and there now, and I've had, you know, a couple break-ins and everything. But I like, I still, me especially growing up, even though I desired it so much, I had no idea how to achieve, like, even what you've achieved. So, like, in 2019, what would, is there any advice you would give to someone like us, you know, who wants to get into this world? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I would say that it has to be something that you have to do. You mm. have to do. Like, I, I, it's the only yep. thing I ever wanted to do. I, I had no mm-hmm. aptitude for anything else, and I had no interest in anything else. Uh, mm. So I feel like the this industry is so precarious and so fickle and so filled with potholes and heartbreak that the only way through is to is for it, it to be something that you have to do. Um, people who want to get into the business because they think it's going to be glamorous or they're going to make a lot of money or whatever, whatever, is probably not the best motivation to get into this business. Um, second thing I would say is what has always been true, which is to either write or have access to material that is um, so powerful that it opens doors for you. Um, you know, the, again, so you our industry like filled with. Script? I mean, like reading script. Yeah, for sure. Watch a lot of movies, good and bad movies. Read scripts. Understand how they are constructed. What the architecture of them is. Uh, because they are built and constructed. They're not just flashes of inspiration. They are shaped and molded for very specific reasons that give rise to, you know, a certain kind of emotional or visceral or visual impact at a specifically calibrated moment in time in their best form. Um so yeah, I but I would say, you know, if you have if you are if you own material, like if you write a script or if you acquire a script, your friend writes a script and gives you the rights to that script and the script is strong, that is the shortest distance between two points, you know, and it's I, I, I you guys I'm sure I'm I'm telling you things you already know. You know, people like, you know, Tarantino would not have become uh who he is if he was not first and foremost a writer, you know. Reservoir Dogs, everybody wanted 
you know, other people to direct it. And he said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not selling the script. If anyone wants to make the script, you got to make it with me as a director. And so mm -hmm. they did. There's an algorithm that attaches itself to that. If you don't have a name as a director and you're untested, then, you know, you have to make the thing for a fairly small amount of money. Um, the risk to the, to the finance dudes has to be uh, fairly small. Their exposure has to be fairly small. Otherwise, they won't be motiv motivated to do it. Um, you know, same is true famously with, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. You know, he, he sold that script, and but, you know, John Abelson directed it. But he, that's how he managed to star in that movie. He was like, it has to be me in the movie of the script that I wrote. So that's the shortest distance. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, we are in a time when you can, I know it's a cliche and people say it all the time, but, you know, you can make a, you can make a short film or you can make something on from way less money than in the days of when celluloid was king. You know what I mean? You can do something mm -hmm. on, your, on your cell phone or you can do something, you know, um, and you can, you can edit on, you know, on your laptop so it's really just about the doing and but first and foremost you have to have that that need you know that need mm. to express yourself in that medium mm. that's why i've been learning that and i always tell people because i also you know i dj i do different things to express myself and i always like if you don't especially when i was full-time dj if i'm like if you don't love this you can't do it. Like you have to love it beyond anything else because it's so many ups and downs in it. And I feel like that goes with pretty much any creative profession. For real, for real. Mm. Well, okay. You've no heard, cap. you know, the, you say what? I said no cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I saw something it. about you. Um, teaching somebody how to do the, uh, how to dance the Drake. What that was that funny. about? Where did you see that? What? Where did you Google. see that? Google. Man, I didn't get to know, read the I whole interview. Tell you I don't go on that yeah. stuff. I don't have any idea what it says on my Wikipedia page. I, I people have from time to time said, "Oh, it says this about me." I'm like, "That never happened. Not true." Um, so I don't know, but that <laughs> is true. When I was doing Westworld, I was working with Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins. Oh, no. And, no. Yeah, and I loved him. And, you know, it was when Hotline Bling was blowing up, man. And I was like, yes, yo, yeah. you haven't... He was like, call me Tony, Tony. And I'm like, you haven't heard this joint? And he was like, no. And I was like, bro, you got to listen to this. And I would play it to him on set the whole time. And he would... <laughs> I was like, I showed him the video, you know, because the video of Drake doing that is funny. And... uh and so, yeah, yeah, that person was Sir Anthony Hopkins, a.k.a. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> can can now do the Drake dance. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Is there any video of this, like, hidden away from me? Yeah, I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we will find it. Oh. <laughs> there is. We will oh. find it. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> oh my god yeah okay all right well you've heard you know an interview so you know how this is going you know you survived the for all nerds interview but it's time mm -hmm. for the brat segment our rapid fire questions so are you ready 
let's let's do it. All you right. sound tentative. <laughs> yeah, I'm as ready. I mean, what I really should have said was I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be, which is not the same thing as saying I'm ready, but let's gotcha. do it. All right. The Falcon or War Machine? <laughs> Falcon. What made you laugh about that question? If I, you know, I, 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 I'm not even sure I should tell you this. You know, you're going to, this will disappoint you greatly. Um, but I don't know that much about, me and my sons talk a lot about Marvel movies. <laughs> and um, they are a lot more familiar with them than I am. So I, mm. I kind of took a guess. I kind of took a wild guess. <laughs> I shot from the hip. That's fine. That's fine. Um, this one, I hope you would know. This one's a little bit easier. Magneto or Professor X? Um, you know who those two Magneto, are? Magneto. Magneto. Uh, okay. In um, what was the X-Men first? Um, who played it? First who, class. Who was Magneto? Yeah, first class. Who was Magneto in that? That actor? Remind me. God, I was trying to remember his name earlier today, and I couldn't. He's a genius. Oh my God! He, he was dating Alicia Bikander for a minute. He had a he had a moment, and then I don't know where he is now. Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Michael Fassbender. Yeah. 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 That's why I'm choosing Magneto. He's a he's a genius actor. That guy. Oh yeah. That scene where he's hunting the Nazis in the in the jungle is one of my favorite scenes in movies. Like he's so good in it. <laughs> so good. So good. Totally agree. All right, The Wire or Breaking Bad? Ooh, uh, I got to say The Wire because The Wire, you know, The Wire is like the most uh, underappreciated show. I mean, I know it's now cool later now when it does nobody attached to The Wire any good. <laughs> that People are like, oh, yeah, I'm down with The Wire. I mean, they could have used your support when it was on the air, but... Yeah, I love the wire. I, don't get me wrong, Breaking Bad is a is very very close, but the wire is the wire is wicked. Mm. Excellent answer. All right, this is in the vein of horror. Who do you like the best? Who would you choose, Mike Myers, Freddie, or Jason? Mm. Um, wow, it's a toss-up. Strangely enough, it's a toss-up between Freddie and Jason. Um, you know, we're in a masks moment, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go Freddie. Okay. Excellent. All right. Uh, Fresh Prince or Martin? Fresh Prince or? Martin. Dude, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one. For they're for totally they scratch totally different itches, but yeah. but they're dude, I I mean, I love me some fresh prints. I love love Uncle Phil, love Carlton. But I gotta say, Martin is a guilty pleasure. He's one of those mm. dudes, whether it's you know, PC or not, anything Martin does makes me laugh. <laughs> 
Like, for real. <laughs> Gina? Gina? I mean, anything Martin does makes me laugh. So it's a dead heat. It's a tie. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. We'll accept that. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. I know. Again, sacrilege, but Yay! I'm Star Trek, man. I'm Star Trek. <laughs> I'm Damn excited. it, man. We were right here. <laughs> Who, what, 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 which are you guys? So, okay, so uh, to be very clear, I'm a, I'm a fan yep. of both. I'm a big fan of both. If I had to choose, I always choose Star Trek. And then I mean it's right. Star Wars. But I'm also a fan of both because Star Trek, uh, The Wrath of Khan, is to me one of the greatest movies ever made. Like, I've seen right. it too many times to count. And, yeah, there's no, you know, I, oh, my God, yeah. You know, in the theater you know, as a I kid, I was You know, <laughs> I mean, I grew up in Jamaica, so we didn't really get everything you guys were getting at the same time. Like, you know, we got mm. stuff that you had finished watching when it was cheap enough to be filtered <laughs> down into the third world, right? And so I saw Star Trek, the PB series, long before I ever saw a Star Wars movie. And mm. those endless debates between William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy about, you know, life and philosophy and what it means to be a human and all that stuff. Man, I was just I was just down with that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't so that delicious? Think, you know, I love it. Isn't that one? <laughs> I was saying, like, aren't those conversations just delicious? I love those types of conversations oh, that Star Trek right? poses. Right. Totally. For what is a man? You, you give me love and feel, Spock. Uh, I see no value in those feelings whatsoever, Captain. <laughs> I mean, dude, that was awesome. Those whole, all those were like great. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, for that impromptu skit. Much appreciated. <laughs> yes, yes. Im- Im- impressive, too. Most impressive right there, yeah. Um. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Ooh, I know you guys probably want me to say something like Blade, but no, I we kind don't. Of the, the first one that jumped into my head was uh, White Man Can't Jump. Thank you. I I mean I love Blade, but you know Blade just gets brought up on the show so much, and I feel like Wesley has so many classics that don't get enough love. Right. Which is yours? Ooh. uh, White Man Can't Jump, I've watched recently, and it's so ill. It's, like, such a weird movie, you know? Like, (laughs) it stars this dude who's the worst. You know, like, Woody (laughs) is the worst. You know, and then Wesley is, like, such a stammer, but also has a good heart. It, but takes advantage of a dude who's the worst. So it's like, so that was a classic. But New Jack, man, is, you know, oh, yeah. Nino fucking Brown, you know, is just. Right. You is know, it too late to yeah. change my answer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I blanked on that Mario joint, but yes, for sure. Yeah. I'm down with oh, New Jack. Oh, my God. I'm down oh with New Jack. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, um, and, I, and I recently, I watched that like two years ago, and it was just like, you know, this movie is something else. Like, something else. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I'm I, down. I really I'm down like him. That. I really like him recently in Dolomite. Like, he, it, I mean, just beyond, 
great work. <laughs> you know what? I'm behind. I haven't caught. I haven't seen Dolomite. I'm. It's on my weekend viewing. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna mm-hmm. get caught oh, up. Good. Excellent. Yeah, That's a good. Really choice. good. Good choice. Yes. All right. Just a, just a couple more questions. Uh, Brap questions here. What character's death in any medium, such as TV, film, books, hurt you the most? Meaning you were just beside yourself that they passed on, or you were really happy that they died. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That's a toughie. I was completely, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, you know, uh, I should have done some homework for this section of the interview. Um, <laughs> man. Oh, all right. All right. This is a good one. This is a good one. Um, this character's death touched me profoundly, still does. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Jimmy Cliff at the end of The Harder They Come. You know I had to wow. get some Jamaican shit in here. Uh, Jimmy Cliff <laughs> wow. at the end of Harder They Come just breaks your heart because this guy just he encapsulates the Jamaican spirit. There's just this indomitable push against all odds, push against all odds. And, you know, and then when he goes out, he goes out on his own terms. You know, I don't know if you've seen that movie, you guys, or if you've seen it recently, but, you know, he is surrounded, you know, he's a, in, in simplistic terms, he's a bandito. And by the end of the movie, he, he's trying to make his way to Cuba freedom in Cuba, but um, he has been shot, so he is weak, and so he is being, you know, the plan of escape is that he's on this fishing boat that his, you know, brethren from Jamaica are going to, you know, row this boat out into the ocean. He's going to get, you know, jump out of the boat and swim and get, grab onto a rope of a a passing trawler that is heading to Cuba, and that's how he's going to get to Cuba. And he jumps out of the boat and, you know, swims as hard as he can. But, you know, he's, he's weak because he's been shot. And he grabs the rope and he grabs the rope and oh, he can't hold on. And just, you know, he's left bobbing in the ocean watching the trawler get smaller and smaller. And so he manages to swim to a nearby tiny, tiny island, exhausted, passes out, wakes up to discover that he is completely surrounded by lawmen. And rather than give himself over to their custody and to the indignity of the Jamaican judicial system, he reaches into his waist and pulls out his gun, which he knows has no bullets, and, you know, confronts the lawmen who just take him out in a hail of bullets, Mm. kind of like the ending of Bonnie and Clyde, which, by the way, Mm. is also a deeply resonant ending uh, with death. But... Short answer, Jimmy Cliff. How do they come? <laughs> oh, my. thank no. you. And if you thank haven't you seen that it. movie, you guys gotta you gotta watch that movie. That movie is the truth. I, I yes. knew nothing about it, but the way you were able to illustrate it, I am now super intrigued. I will check it out. You, yeah, it's, it's a it's great, great. It's very rough, you know, very rough kind of. But it's amazing movie. Amazing movie. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. And hilarious at points too. Like it's so hilarious it's at points. Oh, there's a there's a gun fight or a gun chase scene that has I, I used to watch it over and over again because it would have me rolling. I was just, it's like the, what they say in the scene. 
But all, I mean, <laughs> yes, wow. you know that. Yeah, he is. He is sleeping with, you know, his girlfriend one night, and the cops around him, and he has to escape in a hurry, and he jumps out yep. the window. But he still has his guns, and he runs yeah. down an alley past a drunk who says, laughs to himself as he sees this naked man fleeing down this down this darkened alley, and he goes, I don't have any clothes, but him have gun. I want kind of thing. Yes. That is the most hilarious. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can you please say that line once more? And don't, stop laughing, Ben Ami. We got to hear this line once more. <laughs> Yeah, you have to brush up on your Jamaican patois. How am I? How am I going and don't have any clothes? <laughs> so Amazing. <dope. laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Last one here. I think. Uh, if you could have mm-hmm. any one superpower, what would it be? Any one superpower. If my daughter was here, she would have something like incurably cute to say about that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to challenge, channel her and see what she would say. I mean, I could say something like super hokey that would make me sound like a far nicer person than I really am. So, But the truth <laughs> is I just want to fly. I wish I could fly. I wish I could just That's fly. always a good one. Just freedom. Flying is freedom, you know? I just would love to. Mm-hmm. Very well done, sir. Well, you have survived the BRAP segment, which means you have survived for all nerds. Congratulate yourself for a job well done. <laughs> um, before you go, can you please let the Internet know where they can find you? I don't know if you hang out online like that, but if they can find no, you online. No, I don't do social media. No social media. Okay, fine. What are some upcoming projects or, or ideas you have coming up that uh, people should be looking out for? I, um, to be completely honest, I don't have anything that I want to announce. Um, there are a couple Uh-oh. of things that are hanging in the balance, but I don't want to have anything to announce. Right now, I'm just like uh, trying to survive 2019. <laughs> <laughs> We're with you, man. We're with you. 2020 is right around the corner. <laughs> we we gonna make it. We gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, as long as I stop watching the impeachment hearings and I just stop watching CNN, I I have a good chance of making. It. Hey, this is Gordon Baker Bone. And it's Brandon the Collins. And we are Drunk Black History. Yeah. And when we're not giving you the greatest, latest Black history, we are uh, doing something for four on nerds. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> I'm missing a tooth. <laughs> Yer, welcome back. We told y'all that was gonna be a fire interview. I hope you enjoyed that. Play that back because there's some stuff just like with the episodes of watching this. Hitting me now. I'm just like, I can't believe that happened. Uh, but that being said, it is now time for one of our favorite segments. The guac is extra. The guac is extra. The geek when we ask questions where you, our listeners, 
send us all sorts of questions, whether it's in geekdom, pop culture, or anything in between. As always, you can always hit us up, contact at 4 or you can hit us up on the interwebs at 4 And this week, this question actually comes from our Patreon. If you are a Patreon subscriber, on a certain tier, you are guaranteed a guac question. So just hit up patreon.com slash 4 and you too can be a guac champion. The question goes, hey, y'all, have y'all checked C on Apple TV yet? I'm enjoying it for the most part, but it does have me wondering if it's playing on the tired and outdated magical Negro trope or if I'm just reaching. Uh, C is basically about a kind of a post-apocalyptic world where everyone is blind except for this one black guy who has the power to see. Um this results in the birth, and I'm trying to skip over some, so I don't want to give any spoils. This is results in the birth of twin babies that also have the ability to see. And and as you guys may have seen from the trailers, once like the queen of the land or whatever she is right. finds out, all hell breaks loose because they're like, how the fuck can you see what's going on? Um, the question continues. Um, everyone else in this series is white or depicted to be white adjacent, except for Alfie Wooder's character, who is also considered a witch. Um, yes, Jason Momoa is... Yeah, is Jason is, Momoa's in it. He's Hi- of color. Hiro Kanagawa is in it. Yeah. Um, he said, she said, yes, I know Jason is part Hawaiian, but his character is coded from white apart from his savage-like history, which is an issue for another day. Uh, so... The the question goes, um, you know, the kids are supposed to be the key to the future and all of that. But really, I'm just like, why are they the only black people on the show demonized and being hunted? Anyway, just wondering your thoughts. Have you seen a show yet or if you think I'm reaching or not? Only four or five episodes dropped so far. So I guess they're doing a slow release thing, too. Peace. This is from Amber, a.k.a. Batwoman Dunn, a.k.a. Sister Nightcrawler, a.k.a. Ash Catch These Hands, a.k.a. <laughs> Hot Girl Mega Man. Love it. Those are really yeah, good. Those, those are really good. Um, I have not seen C yet. No, and I didn't know that the kids – that I, I, I knew the basic premise of the show. I didn't know that the kids were black and everyone else was white. I actually assumed – it was going to be a much more diverse show. The than kids, the kids it is. seem from the trailers. They seem like they're white. Because like you got you know between Jason Momoa, Alfred Woodard, Hero uh, Kanagawa, I I feel I, I thought like it there's was people of color like, on the show. Yeah. But what she's saying is not so much that there's not people of color on the show, but she feels like from what she's seen thus far uh, that and maybe I, I, again I don't know if Hero's even appearing yet, but. For what she's seen thus far, it seems like all the the blacks or the colored folk are are coded as either savage or yeah, you know, well, demons you, or witches or whatever. If I was in a, if I was in a world full of people who couldn't see, I want to be a witch too. No, I was gonna <laughs> say I want to be the people who can see. So if the two black kids are the ones who can see, I mean, I mean, like, if, you, if you, but my thing is, you know, th- then you're co- you're thought to be a witch or something's wrong. Right, with you. but then you know, wh- whatever. I mean, everybody's everyone. The, you know, there's haters everywhere, even in the future. You know, I mean, uh, um, I don't know. It is interesting that Jason Momoa had has actually done a career where he's played like these sort of you know non-white characters. I, I actually watched that. That there's a Netflix show. There's that Frontier, I think it's called, and there's like four or five seasons what where he that? plays a half Native American, half white guy. 
Jason. It's, yeah, Jason Momoa. And it's all, it's all about, like, trappers in Canada in, like, the 1700s. And I really liked it a lot. And it has actually a lot of Native American actors. And just these gener- generally, uh, I thought it was a good show. Mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, I have not seen C either. Apple seems to have lost my info when it comes to sending out uh, screeners. But, uh, yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, but, uh, I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs> no, I was just, no. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really like the premise. Um, I mean, I hope it isn't, you know, the, the white savior, you know, magical Negro premise. Yeah. Um, but all I can say is, yeah, in a world where nobody can see, I definitely would want to be see. So I'd want to be one of those black kids. Okay. Um, this is, I think we may have asked this one last week, but you weren't here. So we're going to ask it again. This one's from Joel Sheptana. They write, who is the character that everyone loves but you really hate? Oh, Kylo Ren all the fucking way. Why do you hate Kylo him? Kylo Ren. Why do you hate Kylo him? Emo Ren. Ren? You hate Emo Ren? Yes. Why? I think he's lame. Oh I think my he's God. whack. I don't think he feels like he's any kind of like space villain. He oh doesn't he doesn't feel like he's Han Solo and and Leah's son. But he, he's a wannabe. What's the I mean, he, but he's yeah, always well, been coded continue, that from the beginning. I don't I don't, I don't want to be watching a show on a wannabe. Um. Yeah. I mean, I could keep going with this and like you really piss everybody off. But no, no, no. Not just on him, but like other. But no, Kylo Ren for sure. I can't believe I love Ray. F- uh, for the most part, I like Finn. I, you know, I hope they give him more to do in the third Please one. Please, God, did in the give second. him more to do. Um, but also, is he gonna appear in later movies? Because I understand this is the end of the Skywalker saga. <laughs> but right. Does that mean that their characters are just done? The FN two one eight. It's the beginning of the FN two one eight or whatever. What's his number? FN one eight seven. FN one eight seven. Because that's one of my AKAs. FN one eight seven on the undercover. Right. You know. Um. So yeah, I um, I yeah, the Kylo Ren is the big problem for me. Mm. So it's like I hate reading all these people who like shit all over the new movies. Because I also kind of have issues with them, but none of the same issues as those people. Like, I had no problem with Leia flying through space. I did. I got no problem with... I, I love a big e- problem with I love Super all Leia. the stuff with, like, Rey on Tatooine. That was fine. Yeah, um, that was cool. But, um, you know, I liked Rose. I Love you know, Rose Tico. So, I, you know, I, but, yeah, Kylo Ren is a big problem for me. You just... Yeah, I just. But he's like the main character. He also opposite Ray. Feel like he just doesn't feel like someone. Is it Adam Driver you don't like? No, because I it really just... quite like Adam Driver. But I like okay. Adam Driver when he's on Earth. Oh shit! Okay. You know, but like, <laughs> like I'm telling you, if they make another, if they make like an astronaut movie, like that Neil Armstrong movie last yeah. year, I, like I, you know, I hope Adam Driver has a role where he's like in the control room and not leaving Earth. No, I'm just kidding. But I, yeah, I just. He doesn't feel like he doesn't feel like someone shade, in, in the Star Wars universe. The I can't shade. I can't explain it. It's almost like he has a Brooklyn accent, although, oh, you know, God. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. But maybe. yeah, Ky- Kylo Ren is is someone who a lot of people love that I do not. Love. I don't love the man, but I don't I don't nearly despise him. As, I mean, as like, much as put you it do. this way. I like Hux more than I like Kylo Ren. General. H- yeah. So Fuck I mean, like, here, yeah. Chico. So there you go. I mean, it's God like damn, I'm saying you're as, so a, mean. as a character. I mean, I think Hux is kind of fun. OK. And he's also like a wannabe. 
he's like you know the the original empire were nazis and this what is the new order or whatever they are they're yeah. like neo-nazis like they can't totally get their shit together I, I for me i don't think there's any character that everyone loves that i hate at this point because usually generally speaking i'm, I'm mostly in alignment with that the only time that that changes is if it's like anime related and that has also changed recently like i i've i've shared maybe last month that i watched this anime called assassination classroom and the 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 teacher that the show is about which is like this octopus like being i he's coded that he's supposed to be likable and lovable and all this other stuff but the 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 thing's prime directive is to destroy the earth so i'm just like under all of this guise of a, he's being a teacher and he loves everybody and yeah 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 the ninja is ready to destroy all of you so i did not like him for the longest but i'm starting to come around right but everyone else was like oh he's so cute blah, blah, blah. No, whatever um the last question is from chaotic rambler they write what are you looking forward to doing or seeing in the next decade doing or seeing in the next decade correct I mean, it's it's tw- 2020 is what uh, two months late, less than. Well, in general, I'm looking forward to the new. I'm looking forward to being alive and being uh, uh, of good health and and seeing my family there and making it to the new decade. Um, on a more on a more, I guess, selfish personal note, I want to see the new tech. I I again, I don't want to see another Cybertruck. Thanks, no thanks, Elon. Right. I, but I, I, I am looking forward to the, the advancements, if any, in, in e-cars. I'm looking for the advancements, if any, in social media. Like, is social media going to completely collapse in the next five years? Like, what's happening? Like, the things that I'm interested in deal with humanity, basically, I don't want to say going against tech, but uh, it coming to a head at this point. Well, in terms of the what do you see, what do you want to see in, in, in the next decade, you know, there's a part of me that feels that Marvel is never going to be as big again as they were in these last few. You feel that well, way? Wait, wait, this is the thing. Like, I just feel like, you know, like it's the end of an era with the with the two Chris's. While and, you wear <coughs> your, our, our I know, Coral yes. Nerds Avengers, you know, uh, that's right. Flurkin T-shirt. That's right. <laughs> Um, but wait, I, I, you know, in a one way, it feels like it's the end of an era, and they're gonna stumble a little bit while they're putting it back together. On the other hand, their biggest fran- Marvel's biggest franchises in the comics have always been Fantastic Four and X Men, and those haven't even yet begun. And once they get the rights to Netflix characters, like I'm, go- I mean, I'm hoping to see Tom Holland Spider Man interact with Charlie Cox's um, Daredevil in oh New York God. City. So, so, st- so, like, so there is a part of me that, like, I am looking forward to seeing five years from now what's going on in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, and I don't think it's going to happen the next decade. I would like to see them clone dinosaurs and the dinosaurs escape and get out of control and run all over America. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park's not happening. They, I mean, they gotta. You think there's a Jurassic Park island just chilling somewhere? Well, no, right that's there. the whole thing. There's no island. That's the, they're gonna be stupid enough to do it. Like the island is <laughs> like gonna the, be like, yeah, the, like the Museum of, of America, yeah, exactly. of, of Natural History up the, yeah, up the that, street. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh Neil, my Neil, God! Neil Tyson, Neil oh, they're gonna, do, they're gonna do. They're gonna do some watch. They're gonna do some watchmanship where they're gonna do the the scientific experiment in on Herald Square that's or some right, shit. Right. That's right. Um, it's New York. They probably would. <laughs> so yeah, I you know that that I I feel like that that could make the next that that would make 
make everything a lot more interesting if suddenly there were dinosaurs on top of everything else going on. <laughs> if suddenly there were dinosaurs running around. Oh my God, Chico, um, you are you are amazing. I'm really glad that you're here. Sure, I, I would never have you. asked or thought that dinosaurs in the right. next ten years would be the thing. Uh, that being said, thank you guys for your guac questions. As mentioned, if you have a question about geek culture, pop culture, anything in between or beyond, hit us up. You can email us, email us if you have a long question or you want a little bit of privacy. Contact at 4allnerds.com. Or you can hit us up on our socials at 4allnerds on what Facebook, Twitter, IG. You can also hit us up on our website, 4allnerds.com, that you should be visiting all the time because we have tons of articles and interviews and other stuff up there. In both the sidebar and the footer is a guac form that you could fill out. And also, as I mentioned, if you are a Patreon on a certain tier, you get a guaranteed guac question. So hit us up, patreon.com slash forallnerds. And before we get out of here, I just wanted to mention something again. You mentioned Charlie Cox. Ben and I saw the play Betrayal on Broadway this past couple of weeks. Incredible, outstanding. It, char- it stars Tom Hiddleston, Charlie Cox, and Zowie Ashton. Their chemistry is absolutely phenomenal. The story is essentially about an adultery, but it's told in reverse. So from the very end of it to how it all started. Really, really, really good uh, show. If you're going to be in New York or you're in New York right now, it's going to be through December 8th. If I'm not mistaken, it closes and there's and they say that it's not coming back. So this is your last chance. We were given some discount codes to share with you guys. Use the code B is in Bravo, E is in Echo, M is in March, A is in Apple, R is in Romeo, 1114. And you can save up to $60 per ticket as long as you use this code on telechargeoffers.com. So, that being said, Chico, you know, I think we I think we had a, a phenomenal show tonight. What do you think? Absolutely. I think just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Damn. That's a line for Jurassic Park. One of the Jurassic <laughs> Park movies. No, Jeff Goldblum says that shit. <laughs> Thank you, Chico. You're a wealth of knowledge. Sure. Fan Pro!